0: The following podcast will contain foul language and spoilers, and if we're lucky, sex, violence, nudity, and triggers. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome to the Everett Book Club, where a twice-monthly book review and discussion podcast specializing in old or out-of-print science fiction and fantasy...
0: My name is Ruiz Tremello, and I am the world's worst wine snob, because I have terrible taste in wines.
1: And my name is Marguerite, and I'm a treasure hunter specializing in rusty nails. If you're missing an antique rusty nail, I will find it.
0: Together we gallivant the globe, lollygagging and rabble-rousing, like a couple of bohemian 'er ne'er-do-wells. And this week, we are in New Bombay, Iceland.
1: Following our misadventures inside the hollow earth, we came back to the surface, on a lava-tube train, and now we're staying in a spa.
0: And what a spa. Polar bears are lurking outside, a magma lake heats the hot spring, and I've lost all my pants.
1: If uh, if by lost you mean threw away, then I agree with you. You did throw away all your pants. Into the lava lake.
0: I choose to identify as pantsless. That is now a valid choice.
1: Till you go outside and winter lays claim to your nether regions.
0: But we're not here today to talk about shrinkage. Because we're actually here to talk about The New Accelerator by H.G. Wells. What? From 1901.
1: He seems well known.
0: He is, and this is the first and only time that we'll ever deal with him. (laughs) Today's short story comes to us from the collection 18 Greatest Science Fiction Stories. Originally titled Master's Choice. Edited by Lawrence M. Janifer.
1: Who's the master?
0: The masters are the fact that 20 science fiction writers were contacted and asked to vote for their favorite short stories. Uh-huh. And 18 short stories were voted and won and made the collection, including oh. this one.
1: So it wasn't a crazy time, Lord?
0: Uh, not this time.
1: <laughs> That's disappointing.
0: Marguerite, I've purposely avoided showing you the cover so that you could describe it to our listeners, having never seen it before. Oh, great. Could you please describe this cover?
1: Oh. Okay. So the background color is maybe a dark brown with some dark purples. And then in the middle, it looks like there is a sphere, maybe a planet. And overlaid upon that is some kind of crazy-ass, intricate web of colors. And then hanging off that uh, mechanical sphere... Spider creature? That that doesn't even really explain it. It's just like a bunch of lines put together. Yeah, that's it.
0: I thought it was vaguely biological, but who can tell? No one. There is no right answer on this one. Check that one out in the show notes or on our Instagram.
1: And if you have a better description, please let us know.
0: So the era in which our story takes place is the present day, a.k.a. when it was written in 1901. Oh. And it takes place in England in the present day.
1: Mm-hmm. 1901.
0: And so, how about the first sentences of The New Accelerator by H.G. Wells? Please do. Certainly, if a man ever found a guinea when he was looking for a pin, it is my good friend Professor Gibburn. I have heard before of investigators overshooting the mark, but never quite to the extent that he has done. He has really, this time at any rate, without any touch of exaggeration in the phrase, found something to revolutionize human life.
1: Sure. Is a guinea a piece of money?
0: It is a piece of money. I was meaning to Google how much a piece it is, and I forgot. Why don't I do that now? Guinea is a country in West Africa. There you go. She's always you finding
1: know. countries lying on the ground.
0: <laughs> a guinea is a coin of approximately one quarter ounce of gold. Hmm. Anyway, unnamed narrator continues to breathlessly praise Professor Giburn, no first name, saying that he was merely seeking a, quote, all-around nervous stimulant to bring languid people up to the stresses (laughs) of these pushful days. Oh,
1: I see. This dude's excited because this other dude invented some great drugs.
0: If you are curious, we are told, what Professor G looks like, We are not. We're told that you can see his portrait in Google. (laughs) Google him. In the Strand magazine published in late 1899. But you can't borrow that magazine from the narrator because he lent his copy to someone who never gave it back. What a jerk. Fortunately, lacking copies of the Strand magazine, we are provided a helpful description of Professor Gibburn.
1: Is it very professorial? Or is it crazy mad scientist?
0: Uh, How about I tell you and then you decide. Mm. He has a high forehead and long black eyebrows that give a...
1: Long eyebrows? That give a
0: mesphistophelian touch to his face.
1: Oh, Uh, Do they, like, do they hang over his eyes? Does he have to push them out of the way?
0: He probably braids them.
1: Probably does.
0: Professor G lives at the western end of Upper Sandgate Road. You know, the one with the Flemish gables and the mirrorish portico. So his
1: entire description was just his forehead and his eyebrows?
0: And Mephistophelian.
1: That's all you need, I guess.
0: (laughs) That's all you need.
1: (laughs) Like, I could describe you by just describing your forehead and your eyebrows.
0: That is exactly accurate, yes.
1: In fact, I would describe your eyebrows as Socratic.
0: I appreciate that, and I'm glad you didn't say Mephistophelian.
1: (laughs) Well, they're not evil.
0: Professor G lives at the western end of Upper Sandgate Road, the one with the Flemish gables and the Moorish portico. And narrator has spent many an evening with Prof G, talking and smoking.
1: As one does in the 1900s. Because there's nothing else to do.
0: Correct. That's even before radio. Quote, as everyone knows, or at least all us intelligent people, the special department in which Gibbon has gained so great and deserved a reputation among physiologists is the action of drugs upon the nervous system. Of course. Narrator states that Prof. G is unequaled for his knowledge of soporifics, sedatives, and anesthetics, and is also a chemist.
1: Everyone's drug dealer.
0: Quote, medical science has to thank him for at least three distinct and absolutely safe invigorators of unrivaled value to practicing men.
1: Sure, sure. Oh, wait. Oh, Viagra. <laughs> 1900 Viagra. That's what I'm reading here.
0: In cases of exhaustion, the preparation known as Gibbons bee syrup has, I suppose, saved more lives already than any lifeboat round the coast.
1: Cocaine? It's cocaine. So. <laughs>
0: But over the previous few years, he has spent his time working with nervous stimulants.
1: Like, they're, they're anxious to be doing their thing? They they're, can't they're, they're wait so to nervous. be stimulated.
0: <laughs> After all of this introduction, we finally come to a dialogue between Prof. G. and Narrator, where the professor declares, quote, What I want and what, if it's an earthly possibility, I mean to have, is a stimulant that stimulates all round. That wakes you up for a time from the crown of your head to the tip of your great toe and makes you go two or even three to everyone else's one.
1: What?
0: In other words, meth.
1: Meth, yeah. <laughs> Filthy meth.
0: It would tire a man, narrator helpfully declares. No doubt of it, Prof G replies. And you'd eat double or trouble and all that.
1: You eat it?
0: Well, you'd need to eat, you know, afterwards. Oh, Okay. <laughs> But just think what the thing would mean. Imagine yourself with a little file like this, and in this precious file is the power to think twice as fast Are you
1: saying file or vile?
0: Um I'm saying file because it's spelled P H I A L
1: Okay. Yep, I get it.
0: And in this precious file is the power to think twice as fast, move twice as quickly, do twice as much work in a given time as you could otherwise do. And
1: crash twice as hard later. <laughs>
0: Narrator and Prof. G. continue to babble about it for another page, pointing out that thinking twice as fast would be useful for doctors, or during a fencing match, or if you're in a duel.
1: Oh, well, actually, that would be useful.
0: Because you'll be more likely to win the duel, because you could pull the trigger faster.
1: She's a flamethrower.
0: Narrator wonders if it would be fair to have that kind of advantage in a duel. Then Professor G. replies,
1: Who cares? That's
0: a question for the seconds.
1: That's a that's a question for philosophers.
0: So when he says that's a question for the seconds, yep. I wasn't sure what that meant. I thought it might oh. be some sort of... Um...
1: I know what that means. Hey. So when you're in a duel, you have like someone who backs you up.
0: Oh, that's right. Good call. Professor G states that such a stimulant is possible. Why, it's just as possible as a motor bus.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, a motor bus. What flight of fancy... <laughs>
0: Which is probably a pretty new invention when this was written. <laughs> and also, he's got something coming, which may work at an even greater rate than twice.
1: Oh no. It's super meth.
0: We segue to some more narration from Narrator, in which an unspecified duration passes, and Professor G continues to boast about how awesome his stimulant is going to be. Mm. Quote, I know I'm giving the world something, and I think it only reasonable... We should expect the world to pay.
1: Oh, here we go.
0: The dignity of science is all very well, but I think somehow I must have the monopoly on this stuff for, say, ten years. Okay, to you. I don't see why all the fun in life should go to the dealers in ham. Wait,
1: why? <laughs> The dealers in ham, the people who sell ham to other people.
0: So uh, I Googled that expression because I was thinking maybe it was a 1900s idiom. Yeah. Um, Apparently it refers to car dealerships in Ham Lake, Minnesota.
1: (laughs) What? That's very specific. Or that's
0: just modern Google, not knowing (laughs) ancient idioms.
1: Wait, 1900. There'd be, well, would you have a lot of car dealerships around?
0: No. No. Certainly not in Minnesota. (laughs) No.
1: That was still uh, buggy, horse and buggy times, wasn't what? it?
0: Narrator meanwhile is excited by the prospect of a stimulant that can make you live your life twice as fast.
1: Does that mean you like literally live it twice as fast? Though, so, like, do you die in half the time?
0: Musing that a person continually dosed would be an adult at eleven, middle aged by twenty five, oh, I guess, and basically <laughs> senile by thirty.
1: Well, I feel like some people
0: kind of are already. And here we have some delightfully casual racism.
1: Oh, my.
0: Where narrator happily narrates, quote, It seemed to me that so far, Gibbon was only going to do for anyone who took his drug exactly what nature has done for the Jew and Orientals. What? Who are men in their teens and aged by 50 and quicker in thought and act than we are all the time.
1: Is this what people really thought back
0: then? I have no idea.
1: That's some weird racism. <laughs>
0: it's racist to everyone.
1: I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Finally, on the 10th of August, the new accelerator is complete. Finally.
1: Finally. It took long enough. uh huh
0: Narrator is on his way to a haircut when Prof. G accosts him in the street and orders him to his house to immediately try out the brand new drug he just finished formulating. Post haste, forthwith.
1: No haircut for you.
0: Quote, It scares me. Come up and see the stuff. (laughs) Taste it. Try it. It's the most amazing stuff on earth.
1: It's horrifying. Shove this in your mouth.
0: He gripped my arm, and walking at such a pace that he forced me into a trot, went shouting with me up the hill. (laughs) A whole carabonk full of people turned and stared at us in unison, after the manner of people in carabonks. Oh, creepy. A Carabonk is an early form of motorized bus. I know. Oh, you do. I didn't know that until I googled it.
1: Well, I was born in... 1890.
0: I'm not walking fast, am I, Prof G asks? Quote, and slackened his pace to a quick march. You've been taking some of this stuff, narrator puffs. Obviously. At first, uh, Professor Gibbon says, no, he hasn't been taking any. You know, besides when he had some last night. <laughs> and so narrator asks if the stimulant goes twice as fast and is told, it goes a thousand times, many thousand times.
1: That. Doesn't seem possible.
0: He goes on to say, I don't know how many times it goes. Heaven knows how many thousand times.
1: Wouldn't he be dead by now?
0: We'll try all that after. The thing is to try the stuff now.
1: (gasps) Come be my guinea pig.
0: Entering Prof. G's study, the professor says, there it is in that little green file there. Unless you happen to be afraid.
1: What's to be afraid of? Mystery drugs.
0: Narrator narrates that he is afraid, but his fear is defeated by his pride.
1: That's always a good trait.
0: And or peer pressure.
1: Ah, more likely.
0: As well as the fact that the professor is still alive and well after having his own dose. He sits down and says, give me the potion. If worst comes to the worst, it will save me having my hair cut. (laughs) What's why? And I think that is one of the most hateful duties of a civilized man.
1: Getting his hair cut. Correct. I kind of agree.
0: (laughs) Ha ha. The professor tells him that the stimulant is drank with water and warns that for the first two minutes he should keep his eyes shut and only open them once the stimulant has fully kicked in.
1: Hmm, I wonder why.
0: He warns, Remember, you'll be going several thousand times faster than you did before. Heart, lungs, muscles, brains, everything.
1: I don't think human bodies are made to do that.
0: He warns narrator against moving too fast, then administers doses into two glasses and adds a bit of water to each. They toast each declaring the new accelerator, then drink the glasses and close their eyes, keeping still for two minutes. The first thing the narrator notices is how still and quiet the room is.
1: Ooh, nice. And
0: when he opens his eyes, Prof G points to the curtain by the window, which is flapping in the breeze, but instead of flapping, it's frozen in time.
1: Because they're going so fast.
0: The professor lets go of his glass, which remains fixed in midair. He says that, quote... An object in these latitudes falls 16 feet in the first second. Hmm. This glass is falling 16 feet in a second now, only you see, it hasn't been falling yet for the hundredth part of a second. That gives you some idea of the pace of my accelerator.
1: Oh, that can't be good for a body.
0: After waving his hands around the floating glass like some kind of feral stage magician, (laughs) he gently places the glass on the floor, instead of letting it drop.
1: Ooh, wouldn't that smash it?
0: Eventually, yes, it would. Narrator stands up and describes himself as feeling light, comfortable, and confident. (laughs) Saying that his heart was beating a thousand times a second, but it caused him no discomfort at all. Sure. Glancing out the window, he sees a bicyclist suspended in a moment of time, a puff of dust behind the bike's rear wheel. Gibberne, narrator muses. How long will this confounded stuff last?
1: Oh yeah, that would get boring unless you have other people to do it with. Then you could just walk around messing with people.
0: Heaven knows, the professor answers. Last time I took it, I went to bed to sleep it off. I tell (laughs) you, I was frightened.
1: Oh my god, he's like, this this would be perfect for my friend. This was terrifying.
0: Narrator suggests that they head outside, then immediately expresses worry that they'll be seen. But the professor declares they'll be moving too fast.
1: Yeah, I don't think this guy really understands how this is working yet.
0: And he asks if they should leave by the window or the door.
1: Why is that an option?
0: So they leap out the window and begin to wander the street in what might be science fiction's first ever experience of frozen time. Nice. A woman stared at Gibburn's house with the unwinking stare of eternity. A man stroked his mustache like a figure of (laughs) wax, and another stretched a tiresome stiff hand with extended fingers toward his loosened hat. Hmm. We stared at them, we laughed at them, and then a sort of disgust of them came upon us. Oh, my God. Uh
1: uh-huh.
0: They wander the streets and a spot a bee moving at the speed of a snail.
1: Well, this power isn't going to go immediately to their heads.
0: And then they head towards the Lees, also known as a park. Hmm. Along the way, they halt in front of a man in a Panama hat who is winking at two passing ladies.
1: Ugh. Well, that's not the worst thing he could have been doing. Steal his hat.
0: Quote, a wink, studied with such leisurely deliberation as we could afford, is an unattractive thing. It loses any quality of alert gaiety, and one remarks that the winking eye does not completely close, that under its drooping lid appears the lower edge of an eyeball and a line of white.
1: Oh man, anyone frozen's gotta look really weird. It's like when you take a picture of someone and the people in the background don't know they're getting their pictures taken, and sometimes they look very odd. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Heaven give me memory, said I, and I will never wink again. Or smile, said Gibburn, his eye on the lady's answering teeth. Oh no! <laughs> Narrator starts feeling, quote, infernally hot, and suggests that they slow down, but the professor dismisses him.
1: Oh man, this is terrible science.
0: They head into the park, where a large crowd is listening to a band play booty work by T-Pain. Shut up! <laughs> Uh uh-huh
1: the instrumental version
0: um sure why not (laughs) they wander through the crowd and gawk at the humans such as quote a purple-faced gentleman frozen in the midst of a violent struggle to refold his newspaper in the wind
1: oh it can't be that hard that you're going purple
0: suddenly prof g says there's that infernal old woman and when asked says it's his neighbor
1: push her over
0: who has a lap dog that yaps. The temptation is strong, the professor says, staring at the woman and her dog.
1: I can't believe they haven't done anything yet.
0: Quote, There is something very boyish and impulsive about Gibberne at times. Before I could expostulate with him, he had dashed forward, snatched the unfortunate animal out of visible existence, and was running violently with it toward the cliff at the leaves.
1: (gasps) Whoa, what a dick.
0: Narrator suddenly notices that Gibburn's trousers are turning brown.
1: (laughs) No, that's so gross. Or they're on fire.
0: If you run like that, Gibburn, you'll set your clothes on fire. There we go. The professor slows down before reaching the cliff and is told, This heat is too much. It's our running so. Two or three miles a second. Friction of the air. Mm Mm-hmm. What, the professor asks, glancing at the immobile dog and glancing off the cliff toward the rocks below?
1: Mm, With horror, I would hope.
0: Friction of the air, narrator shouts. Friction of the air, going too fast, like meteorites and things.
1: Mm, Catch on fire.
0: Too hot and Gibburn, Gibburn. I'm all over pricking and a sort of perspiration.
1: Good, he deserves it.
0: You can see people stirring slightly. I believe the stuff's working off. Put that dog down. Put it down. The professor and narrator both notice that the band does seem to be moving slightly faster. So, quote, With a tremendous sweep of the arm, he hurled the dog away no! from him. And it went spinning upward, still inanimate, and hung at last over the grouped parasols of a knot of chattering people. What the hell?
1: Brainy dogs.
0: Narrator narrates that they were about to run, and if they had, they probably would have burst into flames. But the drug wears off instantly at that moment.
1: Oh, that's going to be uncomfortable.
0: They sit down to better fit in with the crowd listening to Tea pain (laughs) Yep. And narrator tells us that the grass was singed on the very spot where he plopped his ass. Uh
1: Uh-huh. Ass is on fire.
0: The music strikes up. The crowd begins to move. The winker completes his wink, and the world has come alive once more. Nobody notices the sudden appearance of two people in the crowd.
1: That seems accurate.
0: Except for one crotchety old man in a bath chair.
1: Because they saddled him.
0: Also, the dog falls down and lands on some umbrellas, where it causes confusion and mass hysteria.
1: <laughs> really?
0: To quote, people got up and trod on other people. Chairs were overturned. The Lees policemen ran. How the matter settled itself, I do not know. We were much too anxious to disentangle ourselves from the affair and to get out of range of the eyes of the old gentleman in the bath chair.
1: No one's going to believe an old guy anyway.
0: They quickly head up the street and return to gibburn's house where they find their footprints quite deep in the dirt from where they had leapt out the window Mm -hmm. quote so it was i had my first experience of the new accelerator practically we had been running about and saying and doing all sorts of things in the space of a second or so of time we had lived half an hour while the band played perhaps two bars he goes on to say that ever since that first adventure Gibran's been testing the drug, and narrator has taken various measured doses several times without the slightest ill result. Yet. He states, however, that they never leave Gibbons' house under its influence, but instead use it responsibly. Yeah, that's it. Totally responsibly. No bank <laughs> robberies for them.
1: <laughs> Definitely not looking up ladies' skirts or tipping people over.
0: Narrator states, to prove how responsible he is, that he wrote this entire account in one sitting, in the space of about six minutes of real time. Hmm. He's just sitting around writing. He's not robbing any banks. (laughs) Nope. Additionally, Gibbon is now working, quote, to find a retarder which will dilute its present rather excessive potency. The retarder will, of course, have the reverse effect to the accelerator. Used alone it should enable the patient to spread a few seconds over many hours of ordinary time. And narrator goes on to say, These two things together must necessarily work an entire revolution in civilized existence. Hmm. Narrator goes on to say that although the retarder has yet to exist, he's quite optimistic about it.
1: They've got time?
0: But the accelerator will be on the market in the next few months.
1: Oh my god, really? This doesn't seem like chaos.
0: At a high, but by no means excessive price.
1: That criminals will definitely purchase it at.
0: Giburn's nervous accelerator, it will be called, and he hopes to supply it in three strengths. 200 times normal, 900 times, and 2,000 times strength.
1: Store robin', bank robin', and Fort Knox robin'.
0: What? Why would anyone use it irresponsibly? No one That's not how people act. (laughs) Quote, No doubt its use renders a great number of extraordinary things possible. For, of course, the most remarkable and possibly even criminal proceedings may be affected with impunity. But he dismisses this as not worth further exploration.
1: (laughs) I don't need to think about that.
0: And thus we reach the final lines of the story. To sum everything up in a responsible way, for Mm -hmm. these responsible scientists who are acting responsibly. Sure. Quote... Like all potent preparations, it will be liable to abuse. We have, however, discussed this aspect of the question very thoroughly, and we have decided that this is purely a matter of medical jurisprudence and altogether outside our province. We shall manufacture and sell the accelerator, and as for the consequences, we shall see.
1: Be damned.
0: So, like true scientists, the results of their inventions are not as important as the inventions themselves. And the money. And the money that they get from robbing banks. <laughs> because it's not on the market yet, so they could do whatever they want with it, because no one else knows about it. Exactly. And this is a true story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So what did you think of the new Accelerator, Marguerite?
1: Um, I feel like there could have been more shenanigans that they were telling us about.
0: That's correct. They just wandered around, made fun of people, and threw a dog.
1: Right, like, just, oh, oh, look at that lady's face, huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty much it. H.G. Wells was not an imaginative fellow.
1: Uh, yeah, like, I feel like I would immediately be corrupted with that power, How were those two not.
0: Yeah, I have a feeling that uh, if this was a true story, then the whole tale of, you know, messing with a dog and wandering around was just a false tale told to cover up the true
1: experiences. Yeah, that's the fake origin story they put on their website.
0: Exactly. H.G. Wells is the author of many fabulous science fiction stories from... Many racist viewpoints.
1: H. G. Wells is not Orson Wells.
0: Important to note I will send a memo to your mother.
1: <laughs> this has been the Everett Book Club. You can visit us at www.everett with two t's bookclub.com
0: or email us at everettbookclub at com.
1: We have a Facebook group and a Twitter that we never use.
0: We have an Instagram that we do kind of use. And I have joined Vivino, where you can follow me. Read all the reviews of all the wines that I drink.
1: All the wines. I
0: have 11 so far. It's been three days. 1,100. It's been three very busy days.
1: Very blurry days.
0: If you or your organization are building an artificial intelligence, Marguerite and I are available to administer training tests.
1: Please note, there is no guarantee of accuracy, efficacy, or professionalism.
0: And I may or may not wear pants. That is a guarantee. So, Marguerite, we've got three spa days left before we have to go back to work. Do you want to hit the archery range first or the paintball range?
1: Oh, I wanted to visit the Labyrinth. Apparently, the Minotaur killed four tourists in the last week. So the city council raised the bounty.
0: Ooh, how much is the bounty now?
1: 50,000 bucks, plus a knighthood.
0: So I could be Sir Ruiz (sighs) Tremello?
1: Ruiz... You can't get knighted if you won't ever wear
0: pants. I am comfortable with that. I'd rather live a pants-free life than put on aristocratic airs.
1: Mm, are you going to help me slay the minotaur, though, anyway? Absolutely. Good, cause I could use another pointless honorific. And we can use a new minotaur head above our fireplace.
0: Yeah, the old one's looking a little mangy.
1: I'm smelling a little... pungent, to say the least.